Ladies and gentlemen, the following podcast contains coarse language, strong thematic themes, talk of history and context, terrible imitations of Hollywood figures, and an unbashed love of Hollywood's golden age. It also contains the ramblings of an unstable dork who has too much time on his hands. Listener discretion is advised. And now, on with the program. Okay, Zach, you're on the air. Yesteryear, Ballyhoo Review. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to this special radio edition of the Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review, coming to you from the YBR studios in Colorado. It's really just a basement, guys. Tonight, we will be going from our regular programming into a deep dive into the world of old-time radio. A world where your imagination whisks you off to places of adventure, excitement, laughter, and terror with the sounds from a little piece of furniture to guide you. Today we will treat you to one of those thrilling shows from the theater of the mind by giving you a story from the end. If radio was going to go out, it would go out with a memorable sign-off courtesy of the world's greatest insurance investigator who would travail across the many lands to settle a client's case. Through the guided force of his dictation for an expense account, you are thrust into the intrigue-fueled world of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. So let's listen to an exciting adventure from Johnny Dollar's case file and then come back for a discussion to delight the earbuds. Johnny Dollar. Pat McCracken, Johnny. How's the weather in Palm Springs? A blonde in a bikini just melted past my poolside window. Goodbye now. Oh, don't hang up. Uh, Johnny, this job's just a few miles north of where you are. It'll take maybe a day to clear it up. Yeah, you said that last Christmas, Pat, and I got trapped in a blizzard. This season, I soak in the sun. Happy New Year. John, boy, we have a bonus list in this office. Your name could be on it. Uh, near where I am, huh? <laughs> it's a ghost town named Calico. An old prospector named Kringle is breathing his last up there. I thought old prospectors never died. He wants to change the beneficiary on a $50,000 policy, but a nephew, Ned Kringle, threatens suit if we let him. So you contact our agent, Gene Craig, in Barstow. Who's the new beneficiary? Uh, Carmen Kringle. Carmen? A borough. A borough? Yeah. Uh, if I don't hear from you, Johnny, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And now, act one of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Home Office, Universal Adjustment Bureau, Hartford, Connecticut. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Carmen Kringle matter. Expense account item one, a dollar forty. Telegram to Gene Craig and Barstow telling him where and when to meet me. Item two, fifty dollars even to Al Sterner for his charter plane to the ghost town of Calico. The guidebook says there's something about desert country that's good for the soul. 
And in spite of the air bumps, I got a panoramic view of the great Mojave that took my breath away. The sun's setting rays hit the weird mineral straighters of the Calico Range and turned them into a patchwork of beauty. Night comes quickly in this country, and I turned to well when a Christmas tree cluster of blinking lights appeared under our wings. By way of answer, he put the plane into a glide and set us down on the smooth surface of a dry lake bed. Shows up? No, no, thanks. Well, there seems to be plenty of company. That's just an old coyote. Don't stand too long or you'll freeze to the spot. Okay. Good luck. Call me when you want to be picked up. I watched Al's plane until it was swallowed by the darkness. And suddenly I got that feeling in the hair on the back of my neck that I wasn't alone. The moon was up enough to make out shadows, and silhouetted in a circle around me was a strange collection of figures. One of the pack moved toward me, and for a crazy second, I thought I'd bumped into Santa Claus's reindeer. Then a car without lights came rushing at me. The headlights slammed on, and I got a glimpse of a donkey herd scattering into the night. All right, mister. Walk toward me, slow, with your hands high. I've learned never to argue with a Winchester 94, so I followed orders. I spotted the weaving headlamps of another car approaching and prayed it was the agent, Gene Craig. Close enough, Sonny. I can pop the rattlers off a sidewinder at 60 yards. So don't you make no sudden move. He was maybe 60 with gray sideburns and a frosty goatee. A marshal's badge was pinned to his leather jacket. All right, now, mister. Marshal, Marshal, that's all right. That's Mr. Dollar. Huh? I was supposed to meet him earlier. I'm awfully sorry, Mr. Dollar. I'm Gene Craig. Huh? I you... couldn't get here until I drove Doc Spangler up to Chris. He's had another setback, Marshal. Yeah, some darn fool let down a rail on his corral, and Chris Kringle's whole herd got loose. You don't give a chuck for most of them, though, except Carmen. Now he's fretting because she's running wild. Almost had him tracked down when this here fella showed up. If you vouch for him, huh, Gene? You are Johnny Dollar, aren't you? Well, a frozen facsimile. Come on, I'll drive you into Calico. You tell Chris that I'll have his Carmen back in the corral before the moon's full. And, uh, Gene, tell the old sourdough to stay alive, will you? We need him around here. Sorry about mistaking you, Mr. Dollar. Gene Craig, with a J, knew her way around. He was strictly business and filled me in fast on the old prospector with the odd name and his desire to change the beneficiary of his policy. Everybody calls him Chris because every year he loads up his burrows with toys and presents for the miners and their families back in the hills. Uh-huh. The kids really think he is Santa Claus. I'm afraid it won't be a very merry one for them this year. Well, what makes everyone so sure Chris Kringle is giving up the ghost? Dr. Bangler says there's nothing apparently wrong with him. It's more like he's given up. Oh, what's with this Scrooge character, the nephew? Ned Kringle seems all right. It's the man with him, Willie D'Agostino. He does the talking for Ned. You think he was going to inherit the money? Well, maybe he's expecting to. You know, you're making a good case for Carmen. Can a borough be a beneficiary, Johnny? <laughs> Chris can leave it to a three-minute schooner if he wants, providing a trust is set up. Could the people of Calico be that trust if they promise to take care of Carmen? Yeah, I guess so. Why? That's the way Chris wants it. That way, there'll always be a Christmas in Calico. <laughs> what happens when Carmen goes to donkey heaven? Or is it burrows that never die? There'll always be burrows in Calico, Johnny. 
And one of them could always be named Carmen. Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and the Carmen Kringle matter. Once the richest silver city in the West. It was unbelievable. Like seeing a page from the past. Walter Knott, famed creator of Knott's Berry Farm and Western historians, had bought the old ghost town's battered remnants and restored it to the way it must have appeared in the wild and fevered days of the Silver Lord. I could make out signs nailed to weathered batten boards that told of a flourishing and colorful past. Joe's Saloon, The Last Chance, Hyena House Hotel. Lane's Mercantile, the Calico Prince. High on a hill at the edge of town, people were gathered at the entrance to a cave that was illuminated by hundreds of miners' lamps. Kind of gets you, huh? Almost like it was planned. They're rehearsing for the Christmas Eve pageant. Maybe you can spend Christmas Eve with us, Johnny. If you don't have other plans. I have a day with a steam-heated swimming pool. What? Come on. Let's meet the old man. Expense account item three. A hundred bucks for a quart of perfume or a mink scarf. Anything to wipe the hurt look off of Jean Craig's face. She led me up the steps to the rickety porch of Chris Kringle's wooden shack. A tall figure carrying a black bag stepped toward us out of the shadows. Here, I'm glad to see you. Will you drive me back to town? Why, certainly, Doc. Oh, this is Mr. Dollar. Hi, son. Hi. Chris? Is he still all right? I couldn't say. Been sitting out here waiting for you. You haven't seen the patient? The medical man owes a duty and all that, but I'm too old to talk back to a gun. You they wouldn't let you in? Tired of it. Well, I'm not a medical man. Well, please be careful, Johnny. I told you, Starbone, stay away and leave the old man to... <laughs> well, if it ain't a little genie, the policy fixes. And who are you, mister? Willie D'Agostino. This is Johnny Dollar. He's from the insurance company to see about changing the policy. Who is it, Wally? Who are you talking Relax, to? Relax, will you? And let him give us some tourist directions back to Barstow. There'll be no policy changing at this late date, mister. Ned Kringle is very bereaved at the imminence of his uncle's demise. Just family admitted at this sad hour. So mosey along, folks. I'll leave the young man to his grave. <laughs> your foot is in the door, mister. I don't like your foot. And I don't like you. His hand moved to his shoulder holster, but Jean was standing right beside me. It was Doc who suddenly shouldered past Agostino and fled up the stairs that gave him my chance. I kicked the door wide. Threw him off balance. I shoved Jeannie aside, and that was a mistake because a million Christmas tree lights blazed up in my skull. Then slowly the tree lights faded away, and I saw Jeannie fussing over me and looking worried. A young, nice-looking fellow was seated next to a marble-top table. D'Agostino leaned against the stone fireplace and dangled his gun, smiling like he had a stacked deck. He's all right, Doc? A nasty cut, but no fracture. I know how to pull my punches, Doc. The old man. How is he? No better, no worse. Just lying up there staring at the ceiling. I want to see Chris. 
I have a right to, Ned. I'm an old friend. Wooly, wouldn't it be okay if Gene just went no, up? No, let him die in peace. He's past care and whole season. Oh, Wooly, these people have I a right. I said no. I'll get a hero boy and his feet and shove off. Go on. Come on, Johnny. Help me, Doc. How's it going to feel, Ned? Sharing blood money with a hoodlum. Your uncle paid for that policy with a pick and a shovel. It took a lot of years, a lot of sweat. And he's had your name on that policy ever since you were born. Oh, man, Kringle never saw pay dirt in his life. Ned had given him money to live on, paid the premiums on his policy. Chris was always tapping the kid, claiming he had a new find. He was going to mine a million. Wait, shut up! The old man's dying. Tell him, Ned. Tell him how the old phony was always taking the bars, making like Santa Claus with the money you give him. Willie, haven't you got a... Tell him who owed you the money! And who's been waiting a long time for this? Me. Willie D'Agostino, that's who. Is that true, Ned? Yeah. I thought my uncle would make a strike someday. I... I honestly thought he'd strike it rich. I know he tried. He did strike it rich, Ned. When he dies, every man, woman, and child in this town will mourn him. He'll live in their hearts. What will people remember about you, Mr. D'Agostino? All right, I'll get out. Get out and stay out before I... Willie, this rifle will make a hole in your belly big enough to pass a borax beam through. So you just drop that gun. I don't know what the shouting's about, but you're guilty carrying sidearms and you're threatening violence, Mr. D'Agostino. And ain't nobody does that in Calico, long as I'm the marshal. Now, you better get. Ed Nuller, I love you. Oh, so let Gladys hear that. <laughs> well, I'll see how Chris is. Uh, Doc, yeah. tell the old buzzard that I got his Carmen back in the corral. Jingle bells and all. Yeah, nice work, Ed. Now, what's holding you, mister? Okay. Okay. All right, let's go, Ned. Uh, let the squares have a round, huh? I'm going to stay here, Willie. I want to be here when Chris... Hey, that's a good idea. That way, no fooling around with the will, huh? Smart kid, that Ned. Uh, see you at the funeral, huh? I'll go up now. You were wonderful, Marshal. You too, Johnny. Oh, yeah, sure. I take a nice sock on the head. Hey, you folks better come up, too. Chris wants to say something. Oh, wait a second. I forget on this. The corral. Come on. D'Agostino must have had another gun in his car. One of the bullets had found the mark he intended. Willie Boy wasn't taking any chances that Carmen Kringle would inherit $50,000. We found the burrow lying on her side, quite dead. Jingle bells and all. Act three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. Oh, act three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and the Carmen Kringle matter. Johnny, how could he have been so cruel? Carmen dead. It's just not right. Yeah, I figured D'Agostino might be mean enough to try killing Chris's pet burro. We can't tell him about it. It would kill him for sure. You'll have to know the truth, Gene. You'll have to decide about the will. Yeah. 
truth is always the best. And easy this time. Easy? Huh? Yeah. I'll just take these bells off and miss poor little fella, and I'll put them where they belong. Carmen? What? Carmen? Oh. Mosey over here now. Oh. Well, you pull the switch. You put these bells on another boat. Yeah. I didn't trust that greasy character, and I was right. And nice girl, Carmen. Oh, I'll be. Now, now, you folks go on up and see old Chris. I'll keep an eye on this year $50,000 jackass. That's uh, the way it's going to be, ain't it, Johnny? Yes, sir. That's the way it's going to be. But I was wrong. The roly-poly little old man in the four-poster bed with his white whiskers resting on the quilt changed his mind again. Even after hearing about how the marshal saved Carmen. <laughs> I I wasn't going to scratch Ned's name off of that insurance, Mr. Dollar. I tried to shake that bag of Steno, figuring he'd take his hooks off of Ned if he thought my Carmen was going to get the money. Oh, I was scared for a while that I just might have to up and die to square my nephew's gambling debts. I, uh, I'm sorry, Chris. I'll work my fingers raw paying every cent I owe, but I'll pay him back with interest. I want you around. Okay, uh, <laughs> Mr. Dollar. Yeah, Chris. Lift the lid on that footlocker and fetch me one of them bags in there. They're pretty heavy, but you look strong. Well, they're sure heavy enough. You got them stuffed with silver? <laughs> it's better than silver. Open it up. Open it up there. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, recognize that? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you'd better have a good sleep, Chris. This here is plain old gravel. Oh, plain old gravel. It's uranium, Doc. Huh? The last batch assayed at $900 a ton. And I got a mountain of it staked out. In both our names, Ned. You don't care. Why, Chris? Mr. Dollar, if you and Jeannie check with the Barstow Bank, you'll find that they'll extend credit on the strength of that assay. <laughs> you reckon you can spend two days... Buying enough presents so as we won't disappoint the folks hereabouts. Expense account item four, $68 even. Telephone calls to five principal cities where I thought Willie D'Agostino might be remembered. The police departments had a long list of reasons why they remembered Willie. That was my Christmas present to them. Expense account item five, another 50. Truck rental to haul the presents we bought for Ned to give away come Christmas morning. And then it was Christmas Eve. We sat on the Kringle's porch and watched the procession up to the Maggie Mine. The flickering lights from the miners' lamps reflecting on the faces of the happy children. Old Chris was bundled up in blankets, his little eyes twinkling chuckling to himself like he knew all the answers of the universe. Gene was there, too. Kind of nice, isn't it, Johnny? Kind of nice. Marshal Ed Noller was one of the wise men in the procession. I recognized the sideburns. And Doc Spangler couldn't hide his height. Oh, he wore an awful beard. Ned Kringle led the burrow that carried the Blessed Mother. Yeah, you guessed it. The burrow was Carmen Kringle. Expense account total, including return to Palm Springs and incidentals, $229.75. But forget it, Pat. This is the best holiday I ever had. And I was only cold at the start. 
from all of us to all of you, may this be your very merriest Christmas ever. Yours truly, Johnny Dalton. Now that you've heard the episode, we will get to the talk of the day. Johnny Dollar's slick and efficient style of detection made him something to listen to with regularity in radio's waning decade. The show contained many legends portraying the dutiful and suave investigator, but the lasting impact was made by Bob Bailey, who for five years delivered the definitive Johnny Dollar. Two years after his departure, Johnny Dollar, along with Suspense, would be the last two radio dramas to air over CBS when the sound from the radio faded out in September of 1962. What is the legacy of of Johnny Dollar and Old Time Radio, and how does it how does the ending of these coincide with the matters of entertainment today? We will find out with the help of our own investigator. He is a filmmaker and a graphic novelist whose work carries a distinct style all his own, and his found love for the world of listening to Johnny Dollar in the car has sprung forth his enthusiasm to discuss the subject with us today. Please welcome Tony Dollar, or as he's known to us here in the real world, Tony Gross. Hey, hey. How's it- How's it going? You are you welcome, sir. You are you are coming onto the Ballyhoo for a very very uh, <laughs> unique episode. We have been doing film primarily, uh, going through the golden age of Hollywood or early cinema, uh, but now we are going to start taking our baby steps into the old time radio circuit, uh, which is. Um, something that I am very happy that you specifically brought to me because you have a very wonderful enthusiasm about you that i like when the moment you told me johnny dollar i'm like really (laughs) so random out of any out of any radio show you've got the shadow you've got the lone ranger you've got suspense as we as i just mentioned at the top and you've got uh lights out um you i mean you you bob hope whatever the case may be johnny dollar is one that i didn't expect however as I started learning about the show myself, because this is a show that I didn't listen to growing up. Um, so learning about it, I was very, very intrigued that a lot of it tends to carry um, a uh, an intrigue that we still have today with detective shows of any kind. Um, but before we get to the matters of Johnny Dollar, I want the audience to get to know get to know you a little bit. Now you are a filmmaker, but you've also been working on a graphic novel. You've been working your ass off. Please yeah. tell the audience <laughs> about El Chupacabra. <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, I'm working on a comic book uh, with uh, my uh, uh, co-writer Trevor Larson. Uh, it is 
Fast and the Furious meets the Evil Dead. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a little like Peter Pan, but really sweet. <laughs> and it's about two brothers learning that just how to, you know, get yeah. along. Yep. And it's action packed and it's kind of scary. So, you know, we're going to be uh, publishing the first issue in a couple weeks, actually. So well, it'll be pretty, this, pretty cool. This will be perfect. So it'll, by the time this episode comes out, you will be in line with it already being released. So we can give you an extra bump here. Let's see if we can get. Yeah, some there we go. There life. we go. <laughs> <laughs> um and actually yes if you look we'll we'll link the page to we'll let, post a link to the facebook page in the liner notes but the artwork is incredible um and i'm familiar with this story having you uh, pitched to me a while back like so the the fact that it is coming to fruition is a is an absolute joy to see uh, well, thanks man yeah and I'm, I'm i'm hoping people get to check out you've got a very very uh, uh, uh very in your face style that i enjoy like you you are you are very unapologetic <laughs> and the artwork <laughs> complements that style which i'm glad well, that you were able to get, put together and assemble that crew to, to make this thing a reality wow uh, you're and, being very very sweet and, Thank and, you. I'm, I'm sweet because i mean it here sir i mean it um, and, um, but also, um, it's something about our history that is interesting is, is that you actually are technically responsible for this show happening in a very roundabout way. Um, really? Right, well, um, this is a while back is that, <laughs> um, when, in, in, in some of my darker periods, you actually uplifted me and said like, you, cause I was writing for real nerds and whatnot. And you were like, you need to start doing a YouTube show. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. I don't think I could ever do that. And then cut to these many years later i'm starting to do one on golden age hollywood so like you, you are a very good inspiration point for people you've got you've, well, you've got a lot of love um, to give and um, thanks a lot man and and uh the so the thing though that um was interesting to me though is is that some of that discussion pertained to us um i don't remember if i introduced it to you or if you found it and then i doubled down on like its praise but the black cat which was our first episode of the show uh, with, oh, uh, that's the first episode. Yeah, that was the first episode we did with that's Zach. Cool. With Zach Bynes, who uh, I just did. Uh, I as it's already been released now. I just did an episode of his show talking about squeeze play for trauma, which <laughs> was. Uh, I don't know what that is, but it sounds oh, very, very interesting. It's a league of their own before a league of their own was made, but it's also a sexy comedy. So. <laughs> okay. Well, Lloyd Kaufman made it, and it, it, it's actually a really fun time. Um, uh, Lloyd Coffin's such a nut. He he is. Uh, I appreciate the brash audacity that that man possesses at any given moment of the day. Um, yeah. But um, so, but it actually wanted. I, I because it's been a while since we chatted. I did want to kind of. I want to start off with the conversation about like what is your experience with Golden Age Hollywood, or specifically, given our discussion today, Golden Age Entertainment. Um, now you're around my. You're. I think you're a year younger than me. I can't remember. I, uh, you're around the same age range. So yeah, this isn't something we're explicitly exposed to. So what is your experience with it? Um relatively new probably mm -hmm. um i was much more into um video games mm -hmm. cartoons um like new newer cartoons that were coming out when i was a kid um so basically it all started um when uh my wife's or i guess not my wife's father-in-law my father-in-law who's my wife's dad um is a, a big radio guy like he's a he's a professional voiceover actor he's a he's a he's a dj <clears throat> and uh actually fun fact 
uh, he's in the revival of uh, Suspense. They, really? They, yeah, they're making new episodes of Suspense in LA, and they flew him out, and he did a he did an episode. It was great. <laughs> you're, I, you're I, I can look it up on my phone. I forgot to bring up the information, but I wanted to surprise you with that info. Ooh, God, you're blowing uh, my mind. They're bringing it back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think they made like 120 episodes or something. There's a ton of suspense that's out there. And I love suspense, too. Oh, so basically, it's it's all been very recent. So uh, I just keep talking about my wife, Nikki, because she's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, but she got uh, us the like Sirius XM radio. And, you know, you get 200 channels. Mm -hmm. Some of them are like news stations. Some of them are 90s rock. Some of them are like... 50s music and it's just when you're when you're going through and you drive so much and you take trips you just kind of look around and see what's on there basically and uh back when i was in fargo it's about a 40 minute drive from my town fargo north dakota um fargo to leonard so in the meantime there's just a lot of just driving basically mm -hmm. yeah and one of the stations that was on uh, the, what would you call it? The, the, the favorites or yeah, whatever, yeah. like the selects or something like that. Like the, yeah, the yeah. Top hits. Um, yeah. because my father-in-law is such a big, uh, radio guy. One of them was radio classics. And so that 40 minute drive from Fargo to, uh, Leonard, uh, North Dakota is just, uh, it was just really, really epic and awesome. <laughs> and I, uh, when we got Sirius XM for our car, um, I was just scrolling through it. I, I refound that channel and I was just like, this is just so great. Cause some of the stations, I mean, they're awesome, but they just keep playing like, you know, the scientist by Coldplay. And it's just like, <laughs> I know this song. If I hear Chumba Wumba one more time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I swear to um, God. But uh, no, it's just, I, 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 I'm, I come from it from like, just like someone who enjoys this stuff. I'm not, I'm not an expert. I'm not uh, like a historian necessarily, but I, I always just find it really, really fun to just like tune into something that's just so different mm -hmm. than what I typically watch. Cause I, I mean, I'm not like a, like a big violent movie fan. Like I'm not like a huge anime guy. I just like what I like. Yeah. And, uh, just hearing the style of acting that goes into this kind of thing, the, in a positive way, not a negative way, the melodrama mm -hmm. I think is really, really fun. Um, and whether it's, you know, yours truly Johnny dollar or, uh, suspense, I just think there's just there's something that's just very special about it where you can I don't know it's 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 really hard to express without sounding like I'm dragging it cuz it's like it is the it's the melodrama it's the it's the crazy music cues it's like hello there I'm Johnny Dollar like, <laughs> like it's like it is just that brings me back all the time and I I'll, I'll I typically pick that over Chumbawamba. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to tell you, this is not too dissimilar from how I operate because, um, now that you've told yours, I guess I'll tell mine. Cause my, my radio experience is so obvious because I never shut up about it. Um, I, I got, uh, hooked into it because my grandfather gave me a Sherlock Holmes tape 
and I thought it was going to be an audio book, and it was the Basil Rathbone, Nigel Bruce series. Um, those are really cool, too. Yeah. I like and, those. And the first episode is um, that I heard was the Bruce Partington plans, which it's not a great Sherlock Holmes story. It's a good one. It's not. That's not the best. But something about that episode I still go back to the most because of the, com- the comfort behind it. Um, and uh, the, there's a lot of warmth memory of my grandfather. And then that opened the door. And then I started getting into primarily comedy, um, which, given what radio comedy was of the era, it's very hard to, at times, to (laughs) recommend it to people because I'm just like, here's a bunch of context you need to have prior to listening to this because it's not all great. Um, But radio detectives, however, are super accessible, as are uh, the suspense programs or the horror programs and the sci-fi programs, even like X-1. And... Johnny Dollar was not one I was familiar with. And what's interesting, though, is that it is at the cusp of the end of radio. Um, It was at a transition point um, when Johnny Dollar really began, because we're talking about a show that started in 1949. And around that time, television is getting its earliest legs. So you have folks like Bob Hope. Uh, and Milton Berle really starting to sneak in there around that time. And then by 1950, 1951, television skyrockets the same way that radio did when it first launched. Um, Something to keep in mind with radio on its popularity level would actually be to dispel a myth for people who might be thinking the most popular form of entertainment might be the movies during the Great Depression. In fact... Movie sales were down at the time. Ticket sales were down during the Depression. But the studios still managed to keep themselves afloat. Like, they had successes. But it's not... uh, Time has changed the story a little bit. In reality, radio was the much more popular form because in a Depression-era family, if they're going to afford any entertainment, they're going to want the one thing that will bring them free entertainment, which is what the radio provided. In exchange for this free entertainment, sponsors would sell their products over the air. Um, so you have, you know, it, 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 ranging from anything we still have today from Jello to Tide. Um, Lucky I'm, Strike Tobacco. <laughs> Lucky Strike. They brought back Lucky Strikes. Did you see that? Good shit? lord. <laughs> and they brought back Good the filtered lord. one. I, I'm, I'm. Too, I was just telling you before we recorded. I'm, t- I'm about two years from re- away from regular cigarettes, but. When I saw, I was driving to work and I saw a sign that said Lucky Strikes. And I'm like, excuse me. So I turned around. (laughs) I was a minute late to work because I needed to know this, Tony. I looked at that sign closely and I'm like, you motherfuckers. What do you. (laughs) I want want a Lucky Strike uh, or Lucky Strike vape pen. Just to have it. I wouldn't use it, but it, I would just I just want to have it. It's round, Way too firm, funny. fully packed, and still going to give you cancer. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's, I, uh, hey, the, when you when you hit your Lucky Strike vape pen, it's still toasted to taste oh, even better. Oh, there we better. go. There we go. <laughs> um, actually, keeping in mind with the, with the trend of Tide in our culture over the last three-something years, I'm really glad that Tide Pods weren't around, because I don't know if children in the 50s would have eaten them or not. <laughs> Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so the the concept of radio as it stood in this era uh, is 
it has this shelf life that stands strong over the course of 20 to 30 years. Um, starting with the first major broadcast of Go Coast to Coast in the in the mid 20s, uh, a lot of recordings which don't really exist anymore. Um, a lot of the recordings that we still have today come from the 30s onwards, uh, and this th this form of entertainment was it, it it dominated people's schedules to the same way that television schedules did for a while before the era of on demand. Um, What's interesting about Johnny Dollar is, is that it starts off primarily as a regular 30-minute detective show. And at a certain point, it starts moving into 15-minute segments five times a week. So this, this form of binge listening um, that we can do today actually starts with a, weekly, with a daily check-in. Um, and in the course of a week, you can get basically the length of a movie radio drama um, being told to you over the course of five days. Now, the fortunate thing for us is that we don't have to wait each day. We can literally binge this the same way we binge Netflix. Um, so it, it's fun, man. It's, it's like, super fun. <laughs> um, and actually if you're, I mean, you told, you said you were a fan of suspense. I love mm -hmm. the fact that I have the access to it that I do to suspense because I can anthology anthology wise I can go through these different tales and just get a different story each night or listen to a bunch in a row. Um, it's similar to the shadow like the shadow doesn't really have serialized content so I can like listen to different eras I can listen to Orson Welles or I can listen to Bob Reddick or any of the other guys that were involved um, and uh, Sherlock Holmes too although sadly Sherlock Holmes. Every time I look, it seems like there's not as many episodes available with the Rathbone Bruce era as I'd like there to be. Um, yeah. So uh, it's so crazy to me, like the fact that uh, some of these episodes just like are gone. Mm -hmm. It's like, like why? It's it's not like even like they're like Hamlet or anything, but like, <laughs> like it's like why wouldn't you want to like preserve what you're making? So it's it, such a weird mindset. It's so interesting that you bring this up because it's one, it's been a lot of the, a lot of the, the, the form of my ire on this show has been the lack of preservation in golden age Hollywood, which it's, it's like talking to a wall, Tony, because it's not, I'm not going to get an answer back from the past right. telling me yeah. apart from the simple notion is, is that nobody had it in their minds that these things would have legs there it's literally a foreign concept to people of this time there are exceptions for people who start finally getting wise to transcribing it but not for the reasons of a legacy a lot of transcriptions would be to carry out a broadcast to another coast so like if you're recording on the west Co west coast you might want to make a tape of your show so that you can broadcast it earlier in the east and then broadcast in the west another big part of it um, was also sending shows over, uh, for for our armed services overseas. You, and certain radio episodes, and you can actually hear this in some of the Johnny Dollar recordings, you'll hear this is a presentation of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Uh, and this would provide transcription discs for men overseas to listen to, um, which you, you and I are a fan of The Master, um, the Paul Thomas mm -hmm. Anderson film. It's my favorite movie. In, in the, it, that's a good choice. In the, <laughs> I fucking. I'm not being sarcastic. No, 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 no. I love the film. I love watching it because I get something new about it each time. Not my favorite movie, but like, man, like, uh, it, 
I'm going to be doing a, a series on John Huston down the line. And that film is like loaded with John Huston. Yeah. Let there be light. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. That that's a good Blu-ray because it has let there be light on it to provide context. And I'm like, that's, that's a, that's a good special feature. I don't need a commentary by Paul Thomas Anderson. Just give me that. Um, yeah. although I would like to hear him talk about, it. <laughs> I want one for phantom thread. <laughs> Uh, Phantom Thread was really cool. I, I liked it. it. It's uh, I I'm still obsessed with the line "Kiss me, darling, before I'm sick." <laughs> <I love it. laughs> now he's making dresses. Isn't isn't the world grand, Tony? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis. I hope he can make me a suit one day. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Apparently that did not go well. Uh-huh. Like they they didn't like each other after that movie. Yeah, it's very weird. That sucks. But I know it. But it, here's what I was going to say, though, is that um, there's a scene in the master where you see them listening to uh, different recordings and whatnot. So mm-hmm. they'd be set up in that such a manner. And you could listen to these episodes of like you could listen to Jack Benny. You can listen to suspense. You can listen to uh, the shadow. Like if, if there's a transcription disc made, you will have access to it. There were different recording methods of these. Not all of them. I, none of them were really like vinyl. A lot of them were actually aluminum discs, which is hmm. why the quality doesn't always sound the best is because that's e- that's easily scratched compared to other materials. Aluminum. Aluminum, yes. Now, Wild. Fun, that's cool. Fun fact. During World War II, we needed all the aluminum to go beat the Nazis, right? So yep. glass discs were used instead. Glass discs. Glass there's a there's a good chunk of World War II recordings that don't exist anymore because oops butterfingers. <laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> Could you find that on eBay? Like, I mean, it, I'm sure it would cost like thousands of dollars, but a glass I've never, thing. I've never looked into it. My guess okay. is, is that these are stashed away safely in collector's pockets. Sure. Because the thing about old time radio is, it doesn't live on without enthusiasm from collectors. Um, the two legends of this matter, I've actually had the fortune to be interviewed by are John and Larry Gassman, um, two gentlemen who are blind uh, and grew immersed in old time radio and became the purveyors of a legacy with it, saving shows, starting their own radio show, um, which still exists to this day called Yesterday USA, um, and hmm. preserving this content for people through the co- through the community Spurred VAC, which is the Society for preserving um uh, preserving old time radio and they have a convention each year um and although they didn't obviously they haven't had one this year and the last year because of the pandemic but right. um uh, the 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 amount of things that they rescued ends up benefiting us down the line and one of the other ways that things were acquired was through tape trading lists uh you know you 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 kind of send you send out your feelers to a community and like a like a like an ad in the paper or anything like that, and you trade shows and so that's how people di- acquire different resources. Um, you, you actually, uh, uh, the the Marx Brothers had a radio show at one point, um, Flywheel, Shyster, and Flywheel, which it's not really all the brothers. It's just Harp. Um, it's just Groucho and Chico because obviously Harpo's not going to talk. It's just going to be a honk. Um, but that Nat Perrin wrote that. And unfortunately, up until recently, recordings of it didn't really exist, complete recordings. It sounds like now, thanks to Bob Tefteller, we have a full episode or two that exists. So you can hear what Groucho and Chico were doing on the radio in the early days of radio. 
Um, and But those discs had to be acquired over time. Groucho actually had uh, two of them. Uh, but they weren't. They didn't really contain anything of him and Chico. It mainly contained the sponsor stuff. So it's like out of all the things that he had in his storage, <laughs> why these two? Not even the ones that have him on it. Um, and it sounds like that one of the discs that has material on it was from Chico because Chico had gambling habits <laughs> and hmm. probably gave this disc as compensation to somebody going like, it'll have value someday. <laughs> uh, Interesting. Yeah. And so... Needless to say, the preservation of it um, has ensured that we have these things. And Radio Spirits, I think, is the the number one source for this. Um, the way I got access to most of this when I was younger was they had a catalog. They had a Radio Spirits catalog, and you could purchase tape sets. And this was still when tape was relatively still available. Um, and that's how I picked up, like, Benny McCarthy, uh, all these different shows with lawn mowing money. And I would just give it to my dad. He'd make the purchase online and then it would come to me and then I would just sit in my bed and get lost. Um, and so now we have them on Audible. <laughs> we have them on YouTube. <laughs> we have there's an app on your phone called Old Time Radio app where you can get for $1.99 access to over 10,000 shows. And it's not even just drama shows. There's also broadcasts from the World War II era that explain the context of the buildup to the war. It is astounding. It's two bucks. Um, it's about two bucks a month. Um, it is okay. Vintage Radio, uh, the Vintage Radio app on. on my I'll check it out there. Yeah, I think there should be an Android one if you're an Android <laughs> fella. Um, if you're a Skynet fella, I can't help you out there. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, you're, it's it's already done. Man. Like, <laughs> well, it's too late, Tony. We're doomed. Don't you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, so Johnny Dollar though is one of the last two. And actually, now that I know that you are a huge suspense fan, we'll have you back to discuss suspense. Uh, I'd love so, to. So we're, already gonna, we're booking that. It's already done, guys. We haven't even gotten into the Johnny Dollar. We haven't even gotten to this character yet. Um, no. So Johnny Dollar, Tony, I want you to tell the audience who Johnny Dollar is. <laughs> okay. Uh, Johnny Dollar is uh, an insurance fraud uh, detective, basically. Mm-hmm. And he gets called in to look into insurance fraud yes and sometimes things go a little weird yeah insurance matters to be specific it's such a weird plot <laughs> like it's so specific yep it's like so I mean, had, why not you know i had a theory um as i was digging into this one of our earlier episodes was double indemnity and um if you've seen double indemnity Barton Keyes, the character that Edward G. Robinson plays, is an insurance investigator, and he is super, super enthusiastic about his job, Tony. Like, I'm talking, like, obsessed with his job. And uh, Johnny Dollar, to me, feels like the only reason that something like this can sell is because of two factors. One, noir entering the picture. Because, like, the idea of breaking the... uh, artifice of you know the glossy life of hollywood and like making stories that get down to the nitty-gritty of earth the things that the coen brothers now do today um with uh, their noirs uh or um even um the most recent one with tom holland i'm forgetting the uh, the southern gothic one uh uh the 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 devil all the time oh yeah where it's kind of like that's a noir but it's just like a southern gothic feel to it and um 
so there's that. And then also the fact that Double Indemnity was a huge hit. Somebody within that, uh, within the realm of Johnny Dollar seems like it comes out of uh, Jack Johnstone, who basically, I'd have to imagine there's some part of it going like, well, I can sell this role. Um, and th- the the amount of popularity it did possess is kind of astounding. So uh, he was going to be originally <laughs> a, a smart, tough, wisecracking detective that tossed silver dollar tips to waiters and bellhops. Now, be, we're going to talk a little bit more about Bob Bailey, but do you know who auditioned for this initially? Uh, no, I don't actually. Dick Powell. Dick Powell, former uh, conversation piece of the movie The Bad and the Beautiful. Uh, Interesting. Dick Powell, for anybody who doesn't know, because we didn't talk too much about him, but he started off as more of a leading man in Hollywood and then started delving more into these tough guy roles. He actually auditioned and did not get the role um, that Fred McMurray played in Double Indemnity. Um, And so... Uh, he started proving himself uh, in the tough guy mold with the film Murder My Sweet by Edward Dimitrik at RKO. And now, th- coming off of this, he starts doing these slew of detective roles. Now, the same year that he auditions for Johnny Dollar, um, he uh, also auditions for a show called Richard Diamond Private Detective. Now, this show lasted less uh, less as long than uh, Johnny Dollar. It went from 49 to 53 on radio and then went from 57 to 60 in television. Um, and uh, this uh, <laughs> this is something that I love about Richard Diamond is that many episodes end with Diamond having an excuse to... like He basically he wants to sing uh, to a lady or his date at the end of every episode... And so this was Dick Powell's chance to be like, well, I can sing too. <laughs> like, I can do everything. I can be hard boiled, but I can also be a tender tenor. <laughs> so, like, why not? It's the you were talking about the melodrama element of it, uh, Tony. My, my my thing with radio is that that it literally can go anywhere because it's not bound by the rules of a visual on screen. <laughs> like, literally, your mind will take you anywhere it wants to go. Um, and uh, so. For for something like Johnny Dollar, they end up uh, they, they end up starting uh, primarily with Charles Russell. He does it for the first year, and then we get Edmund O'Brien. Then we get John Lund. John Lund, who got really got his big break in the movie To Each His Own, which I'm going to be recording an episode on uh, later on today. Then we did oh, an cool. au- then there was an audition show with Gerald Moore to replace John Lund in 1955. But then Bob Bailey enters the picture. Um, now, one of the things that I liked that you brought up when we were tossing this idea back and forth was the discussion of Bob Bailey because he's an actor that didn't really get a fair shake. But it's almost like it would have been impossible to put him in anything else. From all indication, it seemed like Bob Bailey's real true calling was radio he was not tough looking enough to be the same kind of tough guy visually on screen but on air he worked um he he get he started off his life in toledo ohio 
And then at 15, he was working in a Wild West carnival as a barker uh, or an outside talker, as we learned about in our Freaks episode. Uh, and then he went to went through a slew of jobs like a waiter and an automobile exa- uh, guide in an automobile exhibit. And then he starts working in radio in Chicago, uh, goes to St. Louis. He's offered a job at KWK. And then he goes back to Chicago to uh, perform for the Chicago Theater of the Air. He stays there until he goes to the West Coast in 1942. Uh, one of his earliest radio shows uh, goes from th- 36 to 37. And then in the early 40s, um, he starts going back to Chicago for original radio programs. Uh, and in 1943, 20th Century Fox signs him to a deal. And he appears in seven films um, with the and the first two of them are Laurel and Hardy uh, jitterbugs and the dancing master. Uh, so he's already working with comedy legends, but he's not standing out. One of his uh, uh, bigger roles is wing and a prayer. Uh, and by this point, he starts going more, back into radio it seems like the studio just didn't know what to do with him they even they don't bother to renew him he goes back to radio and he starts doing let's let george do it but in 1955 he gets yours truly johnny dollar um and from here we can talk about the fact that johnny dollar as it exists the format of the show is actually kind of fun and really cool it's told in wraparound narrative with Johnny Dollar filling out his expense expense report for the matter of the episode. So each item in the expense account pertains to a, a, a segue into the part of the story. Um, and I, 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 I wanted to ask you, Tony, like we're going to the one that the audience would have listened to is the Carmen Kringle matter, which we'll talk about in a second. But uh do do you do you feel like when you listen to these shows that you are like fully escaping? Because like I gotta say, like my mind at first took a minute to transition with the way the show presents itself, but once I got into its uh, into its swing of things, I was on board because um, it has interesting transitions between Johnny Dollar narrating and then going into the scene. I I guess so. Um... Whenever I listen to it, it's just, uh, I mean, obviously I'm paying attention to the road. But it's like, <laughs> uh, the, I don't know. I just, it's, it's every, every quality about it is just so its own thing. <laughs> like it's just listening to something from a past era. Expense account, $5,000 for the, for the repair of Tony Gross's car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Drove off to the um, side of the road listening to my sexy voice. <laughs> yeah. No, I just uh, like I don't I don't come at it from like an expert's perspective at all. all I'm right. just someone who just found it. I'm like, yeah, this is pretty groovy. I like it. I have I have so here so from the fan perspective of it, then I I will break down a question that I have in the terms of Johnny Dollar every time through all the episodes that I listened to preparing for here. It always seems like Johnny is being inconvenienced at the beginning of every episode. Like, oh, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I'm Johnny on, Dollar. I'm on vacation. You <laughs> Can you not find anybody else to solve this? Now Johnny is the best. So, of course, they're going to get him. 
But yeah, <laughs> he always seems like he tries to shove it off, going like, "I oh, no, George, no, not today." Not, but Johnny, listen, please, I need help. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 pretty awesome. It's it's. I think that it is one of those uh, phenomenal uh, elements of Johnny Dollar is that he is like he is reliable. He gets the job done. He has he has a way with the ladies as some episodes prevail, um, but he's also just very determined, and then that delivery works for any form that this show takes, whether it's thirty minutes or these fifteen minute segments that go over the course of a week. I think that Bob Bailey's in particular, because I listened to the Dick Powell one and it's not great. Uh, other ones do a fine job. I I think John Lund's pretty good. Um, uh, it seems like he's not the favorite of many people, but Bob Bailey, I think his vocal delivery on this is it sells the product better. It sells this character better than most end up doing. It feels like if you can picture in your head the suavest detective imaginable because of that voice. Um, and he under he seems to understand this character in a way that the other actors don't um it's so much so that when he uh is two years into the show he's so bob bailey has the gumption to just be like look i'm going to write an episode of this show he goes under uh two different names uh, he goes under the name robert bainter that's right. Uh, for this for this episode, uh, this episode that we were listening to earlier, the audience will have came from December twenty second, nineteen fifty seven, and Tony, it's a fucking Christmas special. <laughs> That's astounding. It's out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, the we'll we'll kind of we'll kind of like do the plot a bit because just dissecting a thirty minute episode uh, of the show would take it probably a different format than what we're trying here today, but. I want to, but to give the synopsis for people who skip through the episode for whatever reason, um, if you're doing that, I don't know why you're listening to the show, but here we go. Um, it, uh, the, uh, this, this is an old prospector who, uh, is breathing his last breaths and he wants to change the beneficiary on a $50,000 policy to Carmen Kringle, but his nephew, Car Ned Kringle is going to sue them if they try to do this. And, what I, what I love about this episode, Tony, primarily is the opening, because Johnny's trying to kick back in Palm Springs, man. He, he's on vacation. <laughs> it's and you know why this works as opposed to Die Hard with a, or die, a Good Day to Die Hard is because I believe Johnny is there to relax. I don't believe that John McClane is in Russia to relax. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I also love that the the plot description, it was just like you were up in like a classroom doing a book report on a book you didn't read. You're like, oh, it's a, a prospector. And at the end, it becomes a Christmas special. Yeah, how, how, and yeah, that's that's kind of the only way to describe it because. <laughs> no, no, I know, I know. It's, it's just this most, it's just silly. It's, 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 it, but it is true that like, it's almost like, it's not like a film where di dissecting it bit by bit has a different connotation to it. I do feel like this this feeling of Bob Bailey's power as an actor, like you're getting the, de the suave detective vibe that you would get off of other detectives of this era, like a Philip Marlowe or a Sam Spade. There's something about it where he's almost too relaxed for his own good. 
But other other ones feel more hard bitten. Jo- Johnny just feels like he is in no danger of ever dying whatsoever. <laughs> like, right, right. Like, and which actually, there's an. Uh, I'll shift it to another episode for a second. Um, that I, I didn't ask you to listen to, which is totally fine. I'll 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 go through it myself. Um, sure. The the plot of the episode involves Johnny basically solving the mystery about these different elderly people dying in an old folks home, and how they all possess a similar beneficiary. <laughs> Um, but there never seems to be anything truly suspicious about it. Uh, he goes to the old folks home and interrogates people. And by the time it's revealed by the end of it, he's talking to this older-ish gentleman who is basically warming up to these old people and then shoving them out the wind, uh, shoving them down the stairs, sorry, shoving them down the stairs and then <laughs> collecting on the policies. So the Carmen Kringle like one, cool the, the Carmen Kringle one actually seems like the lightest hearted episode that I've heard in the runs that I've been listening to compared to yeah, probably shoving old people down the stairs. <laughs> and yeah, I, I guess when you say it like that <laughs> and I'm wondering if Bob Bailey was like trying to add dimension to Johnny dollar that didn't exist because the, the episode itself is pretty heart. Uh, I don't want to say heartwarming. It's, it's warmer than other ones. It's not like truly hard bitten. It it does it does feel like a Christmas special where it's like everything's kind of relaxed. We don't have to worry about the actual rules, but Bob Bailey does follow the rules of Johnny Dollar. He follows the rules that the writers themselves had established. So it's interesting how like it might be one of the best episodes of the series period, only because you have the person writing the epi- who ri- who writes the episode being somebody who is getting into the head of this character each and every week, um, and. I think that that's kind of a it's a it's a testament to Bob Bailey who you know I I I I think that I'm going to take a guess Tony and say that the predominant episodes that you've heard have been Bob Bailey. Um yep. have you heard any of the other ones? I've only heard uh episodes with Bob Bailey actually. Okay, so you've um, only- and I'm I'm looking at the episode list right now. Um and it seems like the the uh, Cameron Kringle matter was halfway through the run. Yeah. So it seems like what you're saying is probably true, where it's like, I mean, it's literally like every couple of days they're doing an episode mm-hmm. and you probably wanted to try something different. Yeah. Because it's like, there are over 500 episodes at this point. Yeah. And uh, the one that I, uh, the, one, the one that I referred to with the old folks home is the Sunny Dream matter <laughs> from the first of the month. So we go in the span of a month, Tony, we go from, we go from you're shoving old people down the stairs (laughs) to, uh, Merry Christmas. (laughs) So wild. Yeah. And, um, now something that, uh, as, as everything starts progressing, uh, toward the end of its run, uh, First of all, Bob Bailey leaves. This is where I'm kind of unsure of what would have been the actual reasons for him uh, leaving. But uh, there was uh, there was a documentary that I shared with you, and I'll post a link for it for people um, on the episode liner notes, is that Johnny Dollar didn't make the transition to television. It does seem like Bob Bailey was auditioned, but it was passed. Because they couldn't see him visually representing Johnny Dollar. Now, 
we've you've in, in your time knowing me you you've known that i've tackled this particular subject but i want to talk about it from the from a from the realistic perspective when you look at a picture of bob bailey i'm not gonna lie i could see him playing johnny dollar i think it would just you may have to like change the style of his hair or something or like dress him differently but i think that he could have pulled it off i don't think it's unreasonable um, no, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm looking at a picture of him right now. It's like, what, what? Yeah, of course he could. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what, what would have been the, the reasons for this. Now, there's the part of it also is, is that, um, as the one of the reasons he does leave, that is that would be geographical and therefore certain. And, and I'm gonna take a guess and say that the television thing also probably put a, you know, crack in his side, but, uh. The show moves to New York in 1960, uh, and so Bailey was dismissed, um, and thus he, and thus he is replaced. Um, now, CBS is starting to move away from radio. They're changing their economic structure to the point of primarily dumping their money into television. This is this is the f- the way of the future, as uh, DiCaprio would say. <laughs> and um, um, but uh, this uh, uh, so at the time in 1959, when this transition is happening, the majority of the radio shows that existed uh, in the golden age of radio are gone. Jack, ben- like I'm going to use Jack Benny as an example, not because of my obsession, but it kind of like proves a point. So Jack's is one of the most popular shows on radio at the time, uh, comedy speaking, at the very least. He stops his show in 1954 after after over 20 years of broadcasting. So he starts going into permanent television. What you start seeing past 1953, 1954 around that time is all the shows one by one drop, drop, drop. There's a steep decline by 1957. In 1959, the only shows that were still around on CBS radio were Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, suspense gunsmoke and have gun will travel so two westerns a detective show and a, and a thriller slash horror anthology uh and they all moved to new york um and people did not like this gunsmoke and have gun will travel said well fuck it we'll just cancel the show because we're not going to new york which when you know the cast of gunsmoke and have gun will travel they are consistent of regular working actors in hollywood if you're a regular working actor in hollywood you are not going to make that move to New York. That's not where your work is Um, because this is before film really, really starts going on location. Like, like predominantly where like the studio is not the main place you're making a movie anymore. Um, Which, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure of the ratio that actually exists today, but like predominantly your films are, if they're being filmed at a studio, it's for the effects work or for anything like particularly high budget sets involved. Um, I would have to assume like a superhero movie, like the, like a Marvel movie does more filming in studio probably than most other films will in their lifetime in the last 20 years. Um, and I, I actually, I, I think they, didn't they have a studio in Atlanta that they do a lot of that shit in? I can't remember now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's yep, right. They, yep. Yeah. So, so this is, this is distressing for these actors. Uh, so, after some negotiation, radio, uh, CBS said, well, okay, we're going to keep gun smoke in California, but we're going to get rid of have gun will travel. Uh, but Johnny Dollar and Suspense are going to New York. Uh, and uh, 
Bailey's last show ends up being the empty threat matter, which <laughs> seems seems ironic because he might have thought this is just an empty threat. They're not going to move me from California to New York. Like they're not going to move the show. That's ridiculous. This is an empty threat matter. <laughs> wow, well, that's crazy. Yeah, um, and uh, so we'll we'll talk about the end of Bob Bailey first before we talk about the end of Johnny Dollar because. Bob Bailey had a fucking rough life. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sad. Uh, yeah, this. So, like, well, so here I was gonna ask. I should have asked you this up at the top, but what did you know the history of Bob Bailey prior to doing wanting to do this show, or were you kind of just like tangentially like aware of this legacy? Because I did not know this at all until. No, I didn't at all. Okay. No. Yeah. So this was this was a revelation to both of us then, because he. Mm -hmm. He he basically kind of becomes inactive uh, after Johnny Dollar. Uh, he can be seen in the movie Birdman of Alcatraz, uncredited as a reporter on the dock. His last main film where he plays anybody of significance uh, is the role of Staples in a movie called The Lineup, uh, which is a uh, noir version of a police television show that ran on cbs a, a, a television and radio series that ran on cbs from 1950 to 1953 and then on television from 54 to 60 uh and it's an early don siegel movie uh don siegel who would end up working with a grumpy old man uh and uh the the final film that he does is another reporter in a walt disney film productions film called a tiger walks <laughs> which has Brian Brian Keith and Vera Miles uh and Una Merkel and Sabu uh who had had a lot of work within uh, starting off with the Jungle Book adaptation uh by Corda and then was in a lot of the Arabian pictures that Universal put out uh and he disappears God. he disappears and this is where the story gets interesting. He has a daughter. His daughter in the documentary when she's being when they're listening to an interview says that she had not seen him for years. <laughs> um, his uh, he had he had basically drifted away from everybody's lives. One day he calls up his daughter after years of no contact and says, this is your father. She says, this is not a joke. He says, no, no, this is your father. He had been slowly but surely killing himself with alcohol and was calling her from a rehab facility. And he started working uh, on helping others with their addictions and their struggles. So this would seem like a way to rebuild himself to the point where maybe he could have become an actor later in life, a later in life actor. Like this isn't too dissimilar from like a George Burns or a John Gilgood having a second life in film. Um, and he, in, he lived in technically lived into the eighties. He could have had a form of a resurgence, but he suffers a stroke. And in the last 10 years of his life, he is in a rest home and he dies in Lancaster, California uh, at the age of 70 in 1983 so johnny dollar is his legacy it's not film it's not television it's radio 
And what I find interesting about Bob Bailey actually extends to why you when the enthusiasm I had for you pitching this project is you referenced him specifically. You didn't just say Johnny Dollar in general. Because if you did, I'd be like, well, <laughs> give me a month to prepare. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but Bob Bailey, who is the definitive one, and the documentary points to it, like, I, I'm not a fan of Johnny Dollar the way others are. So I'm watching this documentary that's on Facebook putting out the fact that these writers, all these writers being interviewed really respect this material. You really respect this material to the point where their affection for Bob Bailey means that they have to contend with who is their two or three because their number one is always Bob Bailey. Um, and it's interesting that this is a man who is only known for radio. Somebody like Bob Hope has a couple of different spheres of influence. Even Arch Obler, the creator of Lights Out, has a legacy in film because he makes Buona Devil one of the first 3D movies. Bob Bailey only has radio. And what's amazing about this is that a lot of actors of his generation suffer from something you and I talked about earlier, which is the loss of preservation. Some actors, we don't have their films. We don't have London After Midnight with Lon Chaney. We don't have certain episodes of Jack Benny's program. Uh, there's, at, there's at least a few uh, uh, Bogart movies that we don't have great prints of. So the fact that Bob Bailey's legacy is in radio near its waning years is actually kind of cool because we have all of it. We have virtually all of it uh, as an access point. We even have evidence of his good writing skills. Um, the Carmen Kringle matter for, for all the jokes that I was pointing to about it being a Christmas show, you know, it is a very well-written, well-told mystery story. And I think that's what you're looking for. These shows are really short too. Ranging from anywhere in the current version that they stand, ranging from anywhere from 20 minutes to 30 minutes or the 15-minute serials. It's a compact story that tells a nice little tale for you, which, especially if you're driving in your car or even if you're at home the way we were last year, needing something to do that isn't, you know, watching Bridgerton for the 14th time or uh, Game of Thrones for the 17th time, if you want something different, this is something nice compact and neat 30 minutes you're done now now that we've addressed bob bailey do you want to talk about the death of old time radio tony <laughs> do you want to, uh yeah why not yeah do you want to hear me cry how about that um no <laughs> i don't like that and then and then cbs said fuck radio <laughs> um but um so yeah so this is this serial format that we were talking about with the 15 minutes, it, la it it's a year of Johnny Dollar's existence, but then it goes back to these half-hour dramas. Like The Carmen Kringle Matter is among those. Um, uh, as we said, Bailey le leaves in 60. Show goes on for two more years uh, with Bob Reddick, uh, who was a former child actor um, in the New York stock company for CBS. Uh, uh, and then Reddick is replaced by Mandel Kramer, on September 30th, 1962, at 6.35 p.m. Eastern, the tip-off matter airs, and that's the final episode of Johnny Dollar. It pairs alongside of Suspense's final episode as well, something that we will discuss eventually uh, with Tony here. And Looking forward to it. Yeah, and then Johnny Dollar, here's something that I will say is, is that 
this is a show also that came back from the dead technically as it ended in 54, but then gets a reboot, which we've had this happen before uh, in our era, in our time with something like family guy going off the air and then everybody wants it and it gets rebooted again. Um, or, or even star star Trek technically, but uh, different because they actually do a different show. Um, and you need to make time for great quality programming like that 80s show. <laughs> according the tick, to I forgot Louis, the name. The Tick, Louie, yeah. and Greg the Bunny. <laughs> well, I suppose if all those shows go down to two, we've got a shot. <laughs> we may have a shot. Um, and uh, the radio's ending to me, and again, the, the show might seem a little bit scattershot today. It's really because we're trying something mm-hmm. different because – part of the reason to discuss this is also to discuss the fact that the end of radio isn't too different from what we're experiencing today. Uh, There's a shift in the entertainment landscape when it comes to the way we uh, consume the product as it were. Um, Obviously it is art, but if we're, if we're looking at a practical sense, it's a product. It's a product being assembled and made to deliver to the audience. Uh, Radio is supplanted by television. And television is uh, finally making peace with uh, movies at this point uh, where they're working in tandem with each other. A lot of this has to do with the same way that radio and tele- uh, radio and movies ended up working in tandem where radio provided promotional opportunities, uh, whether through the studio's own radio station or other programs. Like One of the benefits of comedy programs specifically, I feel, is, is that it actually shows you what early movie promotion looks like. Um, so like when we watch SNL today, if we're still watching, um, <laughs> uh, I... <laughs> I must confess I haven't watched a full episode of SNL in five years, <laughs> but yeah. uh, I've, I've watched the sketches. They're fun, but, uh, but usually the guest of the week comes on because they're promoting something. And more often than not, there's going to be a reference to their project. So like if you have Chris Evans on the show, they're going to make a Captain America reference at some point. Um, yep. or, or not, or even if he was doing it for knives out, they bring up like, you know, a detective th- something going on. Uh, and so, the comedy shows of the era show the promotion. Uh, and I use Jack as an example because he, he found a way to cooperate where he would get these big guest stars on his show to actually do parodies of his, uh, of the movies that they were in that week. Uh, and so he found a cooperative agreement, whereas a lot of studios were against their stars being on radio because it's like, that's the competition. You don't do that. Television ended up being the same thing. And, uh, for movies. And now at this point, they're working together. Now we are in a place where the, the the medium of television is finally supplanting movies in a different way. I don't think it's like a it's not like a destruction the way others uh, the way I think people look at it as such per se. Uh, but the, sh- the landscape is changing. Uh, so I, I, I think there's a, something that I was going to ask you in regards to this. When you look at the end of old time radio and you kind of look at where we're at right now, do you, do you, uh, do you have the, uh, I don't have the pessimistic uh, notion that cinema is dying. <laughs> uh, I think it's evolving the way everything evolves. Um, but also to me, the story of radio ending suggests that like we're at an evolutionary point, which is kind of cool because we're at the precipice of something different. And, uh, I, I, I would want to know, like, does it take away 
Uh, d- like, does it compel you to actually want to like go back and search through these other elements of like radio and cinema, knowing that we're at this evolutionary point where the change is happening? Um, and does it compel you to keep those legacies alive as a as a younger man? Yeah, I mean, the uh, you know, like HBO Max, for example, mm-hmm. like they have an unbelievable catalog of older titles like everything from original godzilla stuff to i think there's marx brothers stuff on there like and that is the result of this new thing whatever it is yeah but it's also kind of sad to me because one of my favorite things to do when I was like a movie fan in my like younger years <laughs> was go to like pawn shops and uh, rental stores and just kind of browse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are browsing on these services, but it just, it's, it, it sucks that, you know, I can't think of an example like Cleo from five to seven yeah. is content. And so is like, uh, best of whose line is it anyway on YouTube? Yeah, or like, like it's, uh, or uh, sixteen and pregnant, or <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it, it's all on the same level now, and there is something that does demystify it by making it yeah. be like that. Yeah, um, but again, it's it's like it's not like these things have gone away. They're mm-hmm. just presented in a much 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 different light than they used to be and it's uh kind of takes the magic away a little bit yeah but that's just my opinion yeah no i i i do feel where you're coming from because there's something about the way radio operates today right now where it's weird that the opposite has happened um usually it would seem like people would just you know I think that these the amount of collectors that involve themselves now in acquiring these things, and now that there's open access to it, radio is benefiting from streaming, if you will, in a way that films aren't. Um, it's sort of, sort of weird that radio has had a rebirth off to the side while film and television are fighting uh, in a way that they didn't even fight with radio at the time. Because television fighting with radio really had to do with replacing one piece of furniture with another piece of furniture to a certain extent because you're suddenly this new exciting thing is right in mm-hmm. front of you. Suddenly the radio serves a different function. It's just like, well, I can watch drama on television, but if I want music, obviously the radio or my record player. Yeah. I mean, like, look what we're doing right now. Like we're, we're talking into microphones. Exactly. Like it's <laughs> like, it's, it's still here. Wait, you're talking to a microphone. What am I doing? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is a toothbrush. Uh, no, <laughs> it's it was uh, a dumb idea to think I could record with a toothbrush. <laughs> ah, well, stranger things have happened. Yeah. Hey, stranger uh, things on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, I mean, like, most people get their information from podcasts. Yeah. Like, which, it's... Which is a... It's, it's very interesting. It's it's interesting how like there's something in the documentary that we watched that I found interesting is <laughs> I feel like the guy who was interviewed didn't know um what uh that podcast existed and it didn't look like these interviews were too old because 
he's just going like, you know, I would love to see somebody try to do a multi-format, like multi-episode series each day. You've got to tune in, but there's no radio station that has the guts to do it. And I'm like, you're right. That's why you do a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you build an audience. There's lots of radio dramas that are podcasts. Exactly. And, and there's like, well, th- and actually like some, some that even like lightly homage it while poking fun of it. Kind of like what our show does to an extent where like thrilling adventure hour was a big one uh, that they did at the Largo theater, I believe uh, <laughs> for a long, long time. And then like uh, one of the inspirations for this show, dead authors podcast, which I believe you introduced to me. Yeah. Um, I love that because one because of the, <laughs> you started me on the right path with the L Ron Hubbard episode. Oh my God. <laughs> and then I just went down the rabbit hole. My uh, <laughs> Paul F Tompkins uh, was, has a very small part in there will be blood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and he has this great bit have you heard about his bit about I, I, being I, on set i haven't heard the bit in a while but i know that like part of it had didn't it part of it have to do with the cell phone policy on that set or no it's uh he's talking about daniel day lewis and he's like now i had heard that daniel day lewis is a little intense and that's not true he's actually the most intense person <laughs> that's ever lived <laughs> by far by far yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's right. I need to go back to this bit now. This has been a while, and I know. Like, oh. every, when I rewatched There Will Be Blood not too long ago, I, I was I was looking for him because I'm like, I know you're here, motherfucker. <laughs> and I'm like, and I see it's, and I see him at the top, and it's and Paul Paul Thomas Anderson really should have given him a better close up. <laughs> yeah. He's off to the side. I wouldn't take this well if you gave it to me as a gift. But Mr. Plainview, Mr. Plainview. <laughs> yeah. We need you. <laughs> <laughs> um but anyway but, but to to bring it back to the podcasting element of it too you know like uh you know i i expound the virtues of secret history of hollywood and attaboy clarence on um on this podcast where adam roach is doing a lot of work to keep the shows of the past alive uh by re by reintroducing them to an audience whether it be through the lux radio theater or through uh the ford theater uh, or even episodes of Bold Venture, Suspense, etc. Uh, the, the podcasting has been the salvation for radio. So what's interesting is is that old time radio never really died. It just found a different it found a different way to get to us. Like the sound waves never really leave the air. They just have to find a new place to go to. And uh, the because radio after 1962 with Suspense and Johnny Dollar leaving really does become a weird wasteland where uh not not in the terms of music music is always the predominant thing radio is going to provide no matter what that's that's it's that's a lot of where radio's dominance starts is playing a record and then broadcasting it uh but you have talk shows um panel shows different things emerge from it. The zoo morning radio shows, if you will, from like each, each state has its own zoo morning radio show. They'll play music, but they'll also do call-ins and all that stuff. Um, and the Sirius XM actually, I believe is one of the good first indicators of where radio ended up going because of having that channel that your that your father-in-law now you have, but also like, giving that space for like we've got you've got any channel you want make whatever you want it almost like it gave them like a a, a wide open range and then podcast doubled down on that and said like well let, we'll let anybody do it <laughs> yep which goes back to the spirit of when radio was first formed which is people are trying out this technology radio shows start off in a sense with amateurs doing it 
virtually everybody until they successfully complete the formula every single radio show of the era was an amateur hour like somebody doing something on the air people would just want to listen to people's voices or there's one uh story about somebody just sticking a mic out on the street so you could hear the streets of new york that's how intense this was so like now we go to this for any piece of information we want and it doesn't even have to be from experts it can be from fans and enthusiasts like us who can then point you to like you know one of the things i'll recommend to people right now if you want to learn more about old time radio there are two great books one is the great american broadcast by leonard bolton uh which gives you a uh i want to say a good summation of the importance of radio at this time and the other is the old time radio encyclopedia by john dunning a denver author who unfortunately is not in the best of health these days but uh, he ran a radio show under knus out here in denver interviewing these actors and performers before they passed away uh similar to what chuck shaden did and the uh and he's also an author he wrote some really great mystery novels and some historical fiction so there's a piece of information for you there's a source right there but you can also hear fans like us talk about this and kind of suss out what it means to us today you know to me the end of radio or the evolutionary point is like there it provides this conundrum for us but it also gives us hope that because things change it means that things will come back eventually there's kind of like a secular motion that comes around with this so like radio coming back is part of that and i think that when we're when we have the fear of one technology taking over another like streaming with theatrical it's almost like you shouldn't worry because as history has proven within pop culture matters specifically it seems like these things never really go away anyway so the fear of the death of it um, i understand the magic being lost that that that's a whole conversation where uh we'd be getting into the philosophical element of it which i'm more than down to do uh but from a if i'm if i'm speaking from a practical letter and this is just for me i guess i'm not going to speak for tony i'll speak for myself is that pop culture and media and entertainment as it stood past vaudeville which even vaudeville's resurged through youtube uh there's there's hope that these things are still alive we just have to adjust to the way they're presented to us now and also the fear of the movie theaters going away is completely understandable given the economic impact they've had over the last year and a half as i've noticed I think the multiplexes are doomed yeah but like the draft houses are fine. But. Yeah, they are because they program differently than the, the regular mm -hmm. multiplexes do. Um, here, I'll, I'll give you a, uh, an insight on it because I theaters aren't open yet in your area, are they? Um, I did see. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't, I don't really know. It's been uh, I went to four years. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, I went to go see uh, Lupin the Third in October, but I had to drive like an hour out. So I, I'm not sure if they're open in LA yet. Okay, for sure. So Colorado's had them open on and off with heavy restrictions. Like you gotta you, you follow the rules, you go in to watch your movie. Uh, and in fact, the last thing I watched in the theater was, well, the last Draft House one I did was Dracula. They showed Dracula, um, 1930, awesome. 1931's Dracula. So I was only in there for 70 minutes. So I'm like, oh, sweet. I'm not in here too long. It's not that crowded. Nice. <laughs> they're at like less than 20. They're at less than 50%. I know that. I thought they went down to less than 25. But Dude, the Draft House's food is so oh, good. God, it's amazing. 
It's wonderful. Like, <laughs> I really, the last movie I saw at uh, the Draft House was uh, the rowdy screening of Cats. <laughs> I was supposed to go to that before everything shut down. That was, yeah. that was on the list. And also going to King Kong at the AMC because they were showing um, the through their TCM uh, Fathom event program and they were doing King Kong. The last theater I saw before everything shut down was The Call of the Wild with Harrison Ford because oh my God. because Ryan uh, Ryan wanted to go to a movie and I'm like, "Well, let's let's just go to anything. I don't really care." And I did I, had I known that The Call of the Wild would be the final thing I'd see in the theater for months, Tony, I definitely would have decided not to do that. That's so bizarre. Now, now being that being said, the movie's not bad. Movie's not bad. Okay. It's, well, that's good to know. It, the, the CGI dog's a little fucking weird, but sure. If you if you believe, <laughs> if you believe in the reality of the movie and you can put yourself there, it it works. And Harrison Ford is pretty fucking wonderful in it. <laughs> uh, but it's, great. But it all that's even, good to know. It all evens out. It's like uh, it's it's a going with low expectations. You'll be more than surprised. Uh, but, uh, anyway, within the regards of like these theaters shutting down and being limited with multiplexes being doomed and stuff like that, if something like radio is any indicator of how it can come back in different forms, it's, it's more than an indicator that movie theaters will never really truly die. I think obviously the fear is, is that their importance will go away, but yeah, that's, that's the part that makes me sad. Yeah. But look at it. I would look at it this way for, for people like us. We've always been in love with these things in any way, shape, or form, regardless of time and regardless of changing lives. You and I still love the movie theater. That's never going to go away. I've always loved old-time radio, and it's never left. <laughs> Literally yeah. never left. And if anything, it keeps bombasting me in the face with more ways to listen to it. I'm like, boom! <laughs> it keeps <Yeah>. hitting me. <laughs> um, and... Something like Johnny Dollar, which, which I'm glad that this episode provides, is like something for us to, for you and any other guest that wants to do this, is talking about the 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 legacy of radio, but also talking about these individual shows. Like Johnny Dollar, I don't think I ever would have listened to this had I not had uh, uh, had you uh, pitched this, because um, who who would have known that a insurance investigator from Hartford, Connecticut, <laughs> as he is in the show, would 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 steal my attention away from matters that I am like, you know, like su- super invested in outside of the podcasting world to where I'm just like, I got to know more about what happens with Johnny Dollar. And it's it, yeah, it, and, and something that I wanted to bring up to here, you know, this show, Johnny Dollar also features a gateway for us tony to talk about other actors frank nelson is on this show at times uh hans conried william conrad gloria blondell john denner uh stacy harris parley bear howard mcnear alan reed alan reed the uh, the the voice of fred flintstone had a blossom radio career um and one of his earliest roles is actually uh uh Pasquale on the show Life with Luigi, which that show doesn't really hold up today, but he's good on it. <laughs> it's the story of an Italian immigrant called Luigi who learns how to be an American 
um, with the most over over the top. It's it's worse than Chico's accent in the Marx Brothers. <laughs> it's like very over the top, but it also is kind of like technically Chico the radio show. It's really really weird. Uh, and like, but Alan Reed had that kind of career. Frank Nelson is the yes guy. People on this show end up influencing pop culture down the line because if you're a Simpsons fan, you've heard of the yes guy that way at the very least. He was actually the yes guy for years on things like Sanford and Son. Um, and Bob Bailey's legacy, let's 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 give him a good send-off here. Because, you know, I think that there's a lot of detectives that define the uh, the image of a detective, but they run the gamut. Some are hard bitten like Sam Spade. Uh, others are uh, more of the procedural nature, uh, like a dragnet. But these stories still exist in television, whether broadcast or streaming. And the the idea of this portion in time where Johnny Dollar was a 15-minute serial per five times a day, five times a week, like how many of us are binge-watching Law & Order episodes that have an arc or um, uh, HBO Max just put out Perry Mason, which I haven't gotten to yet, but... Everything that I've read leading up to Perry Mason suggests that it's similar to that format of like, I'm going to get, we're going to tell you an overlong story within the course of a season, as such is the case with these long form narrative shows. It starts with something like the daytime serial on radio. It doesn't start with television. Radio is the one that tells television it's possible. What's interesting is that television actually took a long time to get there. Like it took, I want to say the long form narrative for television didn't really start emerging until things like the Sopranos really, um, or, um, six feet under, or, um, some of those earlier HBO, HBO is the one that really kind of innovates it. Um, but, uh, you do have like serialized programming, like a dynasty and whatnot, where it's like an up, uh, upgraded soap opera. Um, but this is, this is, a the things that Johnny Dollar innovates give us, Things like Perry Mason today, um, this version of Perry Mason's because Perry Mason's been around for years, but this iteration of it uh, and something I would want to ask you, Tony, before we wrap this up is when you are listening to it uh, in the car, whether it be Johnny Dollar or Suspense, is it, it does it compel you to share it with other people? Because I think that the definitely yeah, and I was gonna ask like, how would you sell um, Johnny Dollar to somebody? And also, I would uh, we'll tease people for the suspense discussion that we'll have. How do you sell suspense to people? <laughs> uh, so, well, I think suspense is an, uh, an easier sell uh, <laughs> because it's not that Johnny Dollar isn't awesome. It's just like I think if you were to be like, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a radio show. That has spooky things, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, and like that's all you really need to say. Yeah, like, it, it, you you can even use the tagline of suspense to sell suspense. Yeah, you, you know what suspense is, guys? It's the radio program that's well calculated to keep you in suspense. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like that's something you don't really hear very much. Is like a scary radio show. No, no, that's you don't. that's fun. Yeah, you, here let me let me uh, let me plug the episode. Yeah, that uh, Dave Jacobs is in. Oh I'm yes, sorry. absolutely. Yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, and I, I actually I will say that your 
I can tell. I can while you're looking it up, I'll sell Johnny Dollar to people. I could. I okay. Think I could do it. Um, if you are a fan of noir and you are a fan of uh, the inner workings of uh, the mundane or something that has intrigue in it, stuffed in what seems like a veneer of, you know, day to day life, uh, something as simple as an insurance matter. If you're looking for something to blow your mind in that regard, you are going to find Johnny Dollar to be most fun. Because if you didn't think that you could find anything interesting about insurance beyond double indemnity, you're fucking wrong. (laughs) There is over 700 episodes of this available to people to hear. In the double indemnity episode, Tony, I was like going, I was like expounding the virtues of like, I need a Barton keys, uh, detective radio show. We got it with Johnny Dollar. We have it. He is he is super dedicated to his job, even though he preferred to be on vacation. <laughs> it's pretty sweet. Yeah, um, but yeah, tell tell people about the the Dave Jacobs the 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 suspense. Uh, oh yeah, uh, so so they uh, brought back suspense, and uh, I think they've done like a hundred some episodes or something. Uh, but yeah, he's in episode one oh eight, and it's called Rises sardonicus or something (laughs) (laughs) intriguing yeah (laughs) i love so yeah you can get it on a soundcloud or i think so and probably spotify but yeah it's like it's on like wikipedia like they 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 brought it back sweet so i didn't even know this is what happens when i stick myself knee deep in press reports from the from the 40s i'm not looking at what's happening today tony (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> this is why I have people like you on the show to remind me that, like, hey, there's stuff outside right now. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> go, go on out, take a look. <laughs> um, uh, and now, and also, like I said, uh, in the regards of preservation for Johnny Dollar, we'll wrap this up with 710, 710 of the episodes still exist to this day. There was a total of 809 episodes made, um, plus the auditions. And so 710 remain. The legacy of old time radio is stemmed off of the fact of preservation. Like it is a, is a now an institution built on preservation. Not every radio show has this, uh, Johnny dollar, the detective shows, um, and the Western shows, uh, are all amazingly preserved primarily because of them pre-recording some of these shows and then selling them to giving, uh, giving copies to different affiliates in different States. So like, uh, the Shadow was sponsored by Blue Coal primarily, but if an affiliate wanted to play The Shadow, but it wanted to put its own commercials in for what it's paying for, they have the show and they can insert their own commercials in that way. So that's how a lot of these things ended up surviving in the serialized format like drama drama shows. Comedy shows are a little different. And Johnny Dollar exists because of that fascination with people wanting to tune in in different cities and county, counties and countries. So... Uh, and our armed forces wanting to listen to it. So the the importance of the preservation of Johnny Dollar is like this is one of the good examples of like at least we have this much of it. Like a hundred missing episodes, not as bad compared to only having one episode of Flywheel, Shyster, and Flywheel. <laughs> um, yep. And uh, and the Shadow is well preserved. Uh, Gunsmoke is very well preserved. Lone Ranger is well preserved. Fibber McGee and Molly is the most preserved radio series ever <laughs> like uh you, you're you're a fan of news radio 
uh, the, the, the the sitcom. Yeah, the sitcom with uh, Dave Foley and uh, Andy. Yeah, I've, I've seen a couple episodes, but I've, I haven't seen a lot of. It. There's an episode where uh, uh, the their boss, played by Stephen Root, gives the majority of the crew members new cars, but he gives Andy Dick's character Fibber McGee and Molly, and he gives him a bunch of tapes. And throughout the whole episode, he thinks that uh, Andy thinks that he got gypped. And then he confronts Jimmy uh, about this. And Stephen Root goes like, oh, you, I didn't just get you the tapes, Andy. I, I bought you Fibber, McGee, and Molly, the rights to Fibber, McGee, and Molly and all their programs. <laughs> that joke only That's works. so be- wild. That joke only works because something like that is so well preserved. Uh, and, and or also for dorks like me. But the. Th- th- the idea that we still have these is still astounding. And Johnny Dollar, I think, is a good gateway for people, actually, to a certain extent. Like, if you like a good detective show and you've heard, like, a Sam Spade or a Philip Marlowe or a Bold Venture or uh, Richard, <laughs> Richard Diamond, <laughs> uh, the, the swooning, crooning detective, <laughs> uh, then you will, you will get a kick out of Johnny Dollar. And those serialized versions are a lot of fun. Uh, so, Tony, I want you to wrap us up by telling more people about your creative endeavor, because something we talked about in this episode is being able to create things for ourselves now. Um, and I want you to remind people about El Chupacabra and where they can find out, uh, find it and look for it. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm writing a comic book. Uh, we're working um, with a really, really amazing Russian artist named uh, Dmitry Feokostov. And I believe that's how you pronounce his name. I hope so. Um, <laughs> And uh, it's a really fun adventure about uh, two brothers who uh, end up. <laughs> well, I, don't, I guess I don't want to say too much, but well, yeah, they no, get framed for murder. Uh oh. And uh, that takes them on an adventure to basically the underworld. And they meet uh, some pretty crazy characters, including a guy who's half werewolf and. There's, there's racing, there's monsters, there's... The racing part is what's getting me... It's, has, has always it's had pretty fun. <laughs> it's, it's pretty out there. I'm also working on um, some other projects. I'm working on a comic book with my wife. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've, I've been an editor in Los Angeles for, like, five and a half years. Um, so that's been cool, yeah. making videos. <laughs> and, uh, making that's pictures. about it. All right. And I just, and I just got a cat. And <laughs> so that's what's going on in my life. The, the whole reason we did this show was so you could tell us about the cat. Yes. <laughs> Champ is a handful, Champ, but I Caligo love her. cat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and thank you for talking about old time radio with me. This was a great honor, sir. We want you back. Or by we, I mean me. Why do I keep saying that? It's only me running this fucking joke. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. I had a really fun time, and I I can't wait to do it again. Yeah. I definitely want to. So we'll do suspense, and I'll throw you another one. What's your familiar? Have you heard any lights out in your time? No, I don't think so. I'm going to start sending you some links. So I like suspense. I love lights out. Arch over Ah. the horror, uh, the horror maven here, if you will. One of the scariest shows I have ever heard in my life. I heard it when I was 11 years old. Um, Come to the Bank by Arch Obler for Lights Out. Um, it still works for me. So we'll also. I probably, look forward to hearing it. Yeah, we'll talk some Lights Out, and I'll sh- I'll send you the link to that episode so you can be like, 
well, maybe not. You'll either hate it or you'll love it. I think it's one of those concepts that it has to do with going through walls. But what happens by the end of it is astounding. <laughs> gotcha. Because I'm just like, this is mortifying. But uh, anyway, thank you very much, Tony. Um, we'll be sure to let people know where these links for uh, El Chupacabra are and any other work that you want to send my way. And this is going to be it for this episode of the Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review Radio Edition. You can find more episodes of us talking about cinema uh, through our feed on the Real Nerds Podcast. Through, uh, not Real Nerds Podcast anymore. We're not doing it there. Um, You can find more episodes of our show on this fucking feed that you're already listening to right now. (laughs) (laughs) From Station YBR in my basement. Um, But, uh, yeah, no. On the next episodes, we've got a couple of things coming up. First of all, we're going to be talking about To Each His Own uh, from 1946 with uh, Olivia de Havilland, the recently pastor Olivia de Havilland. This is her film that won her her Oscar. And it is also a film that is not readily available on DVD or even on streaming, but it is available on the internet archive, (laughs) Uh, an Oscar winning film on the internet archive, an amazing world we live in. Um, And then also coming up, we will have further discussions with Mr. Matt Willicks about Abbott and Costello. Uh, uh, On the, one of the upcoming episodes, we are going to have the boys from Poptimistic, Anthony and Brent talking about the last man on earth with Vincent Price. Uh, And, uh, Finally, uh, we will also be delving into the world of short films uh, when Laura Leibowitz and I will be discussing Andalusian Dog (laughs) by Louis Benuel uh, and uh, getting into some surrealist shit. (laughs) So, uh, but until next time, folks, good night. This concludes tonight's episode of Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at BallyhooPod and on Instagram at BallyhooReviewPod. That's R-E-V-U-E. Our theme was composed by Matty Ghost. Be sure to check him out on Twitch for more of his music. Our announcer was Henry Jarvis. Be sure to watch his YouTube series, Chewing the Scenery. This is Zach, signing off. Stay tuned for Jack Benny, who follows immediately after station identification. 